One of the gifts that comes to us in uh, our special worship series that we have every fall and spring is that we get to engage scriptures that are not always included in our three-year lectionary cycle. And believe it or not, one of those scriptures is the very passage that we heard today. Acts 15 is not in the lectionary. We never get to hear it. And confession time, today I am actually preaching my very first sermon, whole sermon, on the Jerusalem Council. Um, I believe it's so important for the church at this time. I understand some of you are studying it in your Sunday school classes. We have so much to learn from it. This morning I'll be preaching just a bit longer than usual. So bear with me. I trust that it will be worth it. Let's pray together. Dear God, when we hear a passage like Acts 15, we're reminded again how much we love we love the Bible. And we treasure this story about your people. And we also thank you for the way that when your Holy Spirit falls upon us, you always have new light, new truth to bring forth to us from these stories. So this morning, as we've just sung, we now say, come, Holy Spirit, come. We need you. Amen. As Anabaptist Christians, we often hold up the early New Testament church as the gold standard for faithfulness, don't we? But the interesting thing is that when we engage a story and a text like Acts 15 as we do today, it feels very much like looking in the mirror, doesn't it? Because they too are grappling and wrestling with a big challenging question. 2,000 years ago, it wasn't same-sex relationships but it was one that may have carried even greater emotional and spiritual intensity, if that's possible. But commentators say it is. And the question they were struggling with is, do Gentiles have to become Jews to be circumcised in order to become Christians? Do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become Christians? It's a big question. And today, Luke, our narrator, tells us the riveting story of how the early church, through a very careful process of listening to God and listening to each other, goes about answering this big question. And friends, we're all followers of Jesus today because of the way that they answered it. Don't forget that. 
like a skillful film director today, Luke opens our story in Jerusalem, cuts to Antioch, moves back to Jerusalem, and then ends back up in Antioch, Syria. And so let's explore this riveting story today, and I'll bring in some key insights that I felt were especially helpful from Lederach's book. So our story begins in the year 49. 49. A tumultuous year in the Roman Empire. Claudius the emperor has just expelled all the Jews from Rome, including, we know, Priscilla and Aquila, right? And under siege all over the empire, Jews are feeling defensive and protective about their treasured faith and identity. Okay, so this is our context. People are on edge. And it's in this very context that some worrisome reports start reaching the mother church in Jerusalem about a church all the way 300 miles to the north, a church plant in Antioch, Syria. It's right on the border between Syria and Turkey today. And one very likely source for these reports is John Mark who breaks away from Barnabas and Paul during their first missionary journey and then returns to Jerusalem. Maybe talking about all the terrible things that Paul and Barnabas are doing. Now what is so alarming is that Gentile converts, and as Marlon helped us to hear, we, friends, we're talking about men here. Gentile converts are being received into the Antioch church without being circumcised, which, as we know, ever since Abraham has been their sacred sign of covenant with God, a sign of their being separated, set apart from the pagan world around them. Remember that at this early stage in the church, it's just 49, most followers of Jesus are Jewish, okay? And they still see themselves as representing true messianic Judaism and not some new Christian religion, okay? So this is a reform movement that they feel they are a part of in the Jewish family. There are Jews who believe that in Jesus all of God's ancient promises have been fulfilled. And when they insist on circumcision, they're not just being rigid legalists. They're thinking missionally. They're concerned, greatly passionate about their mission to fellow Jews all around the empire 
who will be much, much less open to hearing about Jesus as the Messiah if they hear that all of these Jew or Gentile converts are not even keeping basic Jewish essentials of the faith. So can we get a little sympathy for them? That's what they're thinking about. And it's now that some individuals arrive in Antioch with an ultimatum. No circumcision. And those who are not circumcised cannot be saved. Or let me say that more clearly. If you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. And no doubt they quote key stories and key passages in their favor from Hebrew Scripture. So who exactly are these folks, these individuals? Well, verse 24 tells us that they are not not sent officially by the Jerusalem leadership. Instead, they seem to come from a concerned group. We can call them a faction within the mother church there. And once they get up in Antioch, they directly contradict the core message that has been proclaimed in Antioch to the Gentiles. Salvation by grace through faith. Lederach says that a healthy church moves toward conflict, right? And brings to the surface issues and names them that they're in disagreement about. Well, there's no problem on that point for Paul and Barnabas, is there? They now have a big debate. No small dissension. I love those words. No small. That means huge. Dissension. Lederach calls it a big brouhaha in the pews. So they're deadlocked in conflict. And in this situation, the Antioch church tells Paul, sends Paul and Barnabas and others to go request a ruling from the mother church in Jerusalem. And just by the way, going down to Jerusalem isn't just like going to Lidditz, right? It's no big or no small, no, it's a huge undertaking. <laughs> Stop these double negatives. If you are like Chuck and Sue in Spain, you walk around 20 miles a day, right? Was that your average, give or take? So what we're talking about, 300 miles, is a journey of at least two weeks. But they're very willing to make this long journey because there's something incredibly precious at stake for them. God's new thriving mission to the Gentiles. You see, 
Paul and Barnabas are thinking missionally as well. So after their arrival in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas are welcomed and given the chance to share about all that God has been doing up in Antioch. But notice that they get pushback right away when they talk about what God is doing among the Gentiles. And some believers belonging to the Pharisees now stand up and almost word for word echo what had previously been said by the delegation or those folks who came up to Antioch earlier. Gentile converts must, must, must be circumcised and keep the laws of Moses. No ifs, ends, or buts. So we have now what we call an impasse. And so it's decided to gather all the apostles and all the leaders and elders together for a deeper conversation. And this is what we now call today the Jerusalem Council. And again, it says in verse 7, there's much debate I imagine a live video feed of this gathering. Can you imagine that? What that might look like? A whole lot of passionate shouting, gesturing, head shaking, and a whole lot of sighing. Right? How are we going to get through this? It's at times like these, Lederach says, that we need to make sure that we've actually understood each other before we try to deal with our differences. And so Peter is now given the chance to stand up and speak in this story. And friends, this is where things get really, really interesting. Remember that Peter has been on his own journey toward the Gentiles, right? Earlier in Joppa, the Holy Spirit stuns him with a vision that about setting aside Jewish food laws. Then in Caesarea, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, a despised centurion of the empire. Wow! showing and making clear that God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And then Peter arrives up in Antioch and flowing with the Holy Spirit, he, a Jewish Christian, freely shares table fellowship with Gentile Christian converts. Unheard of. Totally radical. But then, folks from Jerusalem show up, up in Antioch, and as Paul snarkily calls them in Galatians, what does he call them? The circumcision faction. And when they show up, Paul does something, or excuse me, 
when they show up, Peter does something that we sometimes do. When we're shifting from a deeply held belief, but we're not quite there yet. Peter wavers. And then he waffles. Ever done that? He draws back from the Gentile believers. And he even prompts Barnabas and the other Jews to do the same in Antioch. Imagine the community's pain now as their intimate table fellowship is ruptured. A great dividing wall brought down by Jesus is now rising up between them again. Their radical witness to the reconciling power of the gospel is going up in smoke. Paul, being Paul, now has a ruptured artery. Right? Toward Peter and his hypocrisy. For him, the very truth of the gospel is at stake. That through Jesus, salvation is God's lavish gift of grace to us and nothing and can never be earned by any human merit or action or ritual. And a great wall of hostility now rises between Peter and Paul as well. All right, let's go back to Jerusalem now. That's, That's the context here. It's this Peter... This Peter who now stands up in Jerusalem to speak. And after he tells his story, how the Holy Spirit has made clear that God's saving love is meant for all people, he asks the assembly, why are you putting God, why are you putting God to the test? by placing a yoke on the neck of Gentile converts that neither our ancestors could carry, nor can we. And then he sits down. And then Paul and Barnabas rise to speak, with the whole assembly still keeping silent and listening intently. And they too speak passionately, about God's signs and wonders among the Gentiles. So do you see what we have? We have this gathering in Jerusalem with Peter and Paul right there. And do you remember how a few weeks ago I showed you this icon? About the reconciliation of Peter and Paul. And I said to you, it it happens nowhere in Scripture? Well, you have to wonder if maybe it happened at the Jerusalem conference. When Peter finally had the courage of his convictions to speak boldly about what God was doing 
up in Antioch. And you know, John Paul Lederach has helped me to understand why I bought this icon and why I've been attracted to it for the past 12 years. This is the gospel. Reconciliation that begins first in the church, not outside in the world. First in the church between Peter and Paul. And then ripples out to the world. It's now in our story that James, James stands up. A pillar in the Jerusalem church, a brother of Jesus. Think about that. And one of the people to whom Jesus appears to following the resurrection. He's also a bridge builder, a mediator, a mediating figure in the early church. And he has something that every church needs most of all at a time like this, wisdom. James now turns to Amos 9 and highlights a storyline that has been slow cooking through the whole Bible. God's saving love is meant for all people, even Gentiles. And he's doing something crucial here, dear friends. He's showing how God's new thing, how God's new thing is completely in continuity with all that God has been doing so far. Very important. James then presents his decision. Now, is it a decision or is it a proposal? (laughs) He presents it to the assembly. Gentile converts don't need to be circumcised anymore. And what Lederach says he means is, guided by the Holy Spirit, we are changing our beliefs our long-held beliefs. We're going to flow with the Holy Spirit and set aside some parts of Scripture. But Gentiles, James continues, says we still need, you still need to do three essential things. There must be no eating of food sacrificed to the idols of the empire. There must be no eating meat containing blood. And there must be no sexual immorality. What James is doing here, dear friends, is he's thinking missionally. These essentials, these three essentials, will make it possible for Jews and Gentiles in the church to start eating together and to start sharing table fellowship together for the outside world to see again 
a reconciled church. Luke now tells us that this way forward proposed by James now receives the consent of the whole church. Okay? And it's not just a compromise, a splitting of the difference. It emerges out of a deep listening to God and to one another, and because of this, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to each of them. And did you notice that later on when the news of this way forward is taken up to Antioch, that it receives not just their consent, but it's received with great rejoicing, isn't it? It's good news. And it opens up a whole new chapter in the mission of God and the taking of the gospel to the ends of the earth even here to Lancaster. So all week, maybe like some of you are right now, I've been asking here at East Chestnut, what can we learn from this story? What do we need to learn from this story. As you know, the 412 credentialed leaders of our Lancaster Mennonite Conference are now voting on whether to separate from our Mennonite Church USA and the outcome is going to be announced at the end of this week, likely on Thursday or Friday. And friends, whatever the result, by the way, our congregation will then pause for a season of prayer to celebrate Advent and Christmas. And then in the new year, we want to seek a way forward together about our denomination, about our conference, and about same-sex relationships. Along the way, I believe Acts 15 has much to teach us. First of all, that we need to keep our eyes focused on the mission of God to ask where in this city or how in this city can we join what God is doing and welcome all people to come follow Jesus with us. Acts 15 also teaches us to ground our discernment in Scripture and the storyline that God has been slow cooking since the beginning of time even decisions that may seem new need to be rooted and grounded in the core essentials of our faith. And finally, and this one's really hard for me, Acts 15 teaches us not to avoid conflict. 
Because when we engage each other in healthy and respectful ways in conflict, which, by the way, I have come to see as part of the DNA of East Chestnut, I keep on waiting for things to explode, but they don't. We keep on engaging each other, sharing meals, asking each other out for coffee, talking about these things. And we do this because we, we believe that our differences and even our disagreements can be the arena for God's revelation. We listen carefully to each other, not because it's some negotiating ploy or tactic, because by listening to each other, this is one of the crucial ways that God speaks to us, through each other. Friends, deep in my soul, I do believe that all shall be well, and that we can do this work together. And that our faithful God will show us a way forward that seems good to the Holy Spirit and good to us. Amen.